This is John Quinn, and this is Law Disrupted. And today we're going to be speaking with one of my partners, a relatively new partner, Dabney O'Reardon, who joined us from the SEC about six months ago. Her last job at the SEC was co-chief of the Asset Management Unit in the Division of Enforcement. That was the last job she held, although she had been at the SEC in various jobs for, Dabney, how many years? 17 years. 17 years. <laughs> That's a long time. And and how long were you in that position at the Division of Enforcement, the last position you held? I was in that role for just over six years. So I was the longest serving person to have that position. What was the asset management unit of the Division of Enforcement? And what were your responsibilities as co-chief of that unit? Sure. So the asset management unit was one of several specialized units that, that the SEC formed in 2010 after the financial crisis. The SEC determined that they really didn't have the deep specialized knowledge necessary for reviewing the marketplace. And so one of those units, and it was the largest unit formed at the time, was the asset management unit, which specializes in asset managers. So investment advisors who manage money for private funds, for mutual funds, ETFs, for separately managed accounts. It's a huge industry, and that is why it was the largest unit. So the unit really dove into the rules and the laws that applied, really understanding how the industry worked and focused its investigations and its litigation into that space. So I held various jobs within that unit. I was in that unit for quite a long time, for 13 years. Um, and in that unit, I held various different roles, first as a line attorney doing the investigations and litigations, and then supervising matters and then for the last six years leading that unit and it is a national unit with people all over the country and one of the primary responsibilities is just to, to decide what to investigate from the initial point what are we going to investigate and then if there is an issue how is the case going to be resolved is it something that needs to be recommended for enforcement action to the sec so that was my job at the asset management unit and in terms of asset manager managers, we're talking about what types of institutions? Would these be private equity uh, firms, other types of funds? Can you kind of give us some understanding of what those asset managers would, who they are? Sure. It is anyone who falls under the definition under the statutes of an investment advisor. It's a really big group of people. So on the private fund side, this is private equity funds, this is hedge funds, it's venture capital funds, even funds that aren't registered with the SEC are captured by uh, the asset management unit and what they focus on. It includes mutual funds and what the SEC refers to as registered investment funds, as well as like the individual client account where you have an advisor with a single person who's a client and those relationships. So it's, it's quite massive. So your job would include deciding what to investigate and what actions to take as a result of what you learn in the course of those investigations, including whether or not to recommend an enforcement proceeding for a particular on a particular set of facts. Exactly. And if we did recommend an enforcement action, what would be the settlement terms that we'd be willing to recommend to the Securities and Exchange Commission to resolve the case? And that job was not just for the cases that I directly supervised, but I was also responsible for consulting across the division 
for others within the Division of Enforcement who were conducting similar investigations. So that was my primary job. What are the kinds of things that an asset manager can do in order to minimize its risk that an enforcement action will actually be recommended or taken as a result of an investigation or particular conduct? Well, if the firm finds an issue before the SEC has even knocked on their door, um, that is before the examination program asks a question about it or the enforcement program issues a subpoena or document request about it, the firm can take a lot of steps to really try and get their arms around the problem uh, to see how big the problem is and then to take certain steps to try and remediate the issue so that if the SEC ever does knock on your door, then you can tell them it's all been handled. This is not where you want to spend your time and resources, um, things of that nature. So there's a lot of different things that you can do that you want to be able to point to. Um, and it really depends on the facts and circumstances of what you know right now, how much you need to devote to figuring out the problem. So in other words, if an asset manager identifies an issue, it's better if they actually address it themselves before the SEC discovers it. A fair statement? Yes, that is a fair statement. But, but you know, what are the chances that someone's going to get caught, that a manager is going to get caught? I, I assume that it can take these, taking these remedial steps can be expensive. It can be investment of time and the like. Uh, I mean, is there a strategy that, you know, you should just keep your head in the sand and if the SEC finds it, we'll deal with it then? So I would say putting your head in the sand is not the best option, but it's not to say you don't have lots of other options. So if you find a problem, the key is just to stop it, stop it going forward. And that at least starts the clock on any sort of statute of limitations the SEC may have. And the older the conduct gets, the less attractive it is to the SEC um, when they finally do discover the issue. That said, the SEC is having increasing mechanisms by which they can find conduct. Uh, they have their examination program where all SEC registered investment advisors are subject to examination by the SEC exam program. And if they come in, they can find the problem. So that is one area where they can find it. There's also now affirmative reporting obligations of certain types of events that we saw with the recent amendments to form PF that large hedge funds and private equity funds are going to be subjected to. So these are ways in which the staff can find out. The other big one right now is how much money the SEC is putting into their whistleblower awards that will really incentivize employees at firms to go forward and to self uh, to report an issue to the SEC and take whistleblower status. The, a couple weeks ago, they just had an award that was almost $279 million. And the awards are substantial. They're not all $279 million, but they are in the millions. And so this can be a very big incentive. So the idea that you can just stick your head in the sand and ignore a problem is, is not really realistic at this point to the extent all of the other options are for the SEC to find the conduct. So, so in other words, because of the new SEC rules and the affirmative action required in the whistleblower program, what from what you've seen over time, the chances that the SEC is going to stumble across problems has it's gone up over what it was in the past. 
Yes. And, I, and it's not to say that you have to take every single possible remedial measure if you find an issue. There is certainly a weighing and balancing to what you do, what you should do based on the risks that are present of the SEC finding the issue, of what will happen if they do find the issue, the, those types of things. So what are some of the benefits that an advisor can get if they discover the issue themselves and they take remedial steps? How does that benefit an advisor? I generally put that into two different buckets. I think to the extent it's something where you're going to return money to your clients or your investors, I think it helps establish a relationship of trust with them, that you are policing yourself and that when you find an issue, you're dealing with it and dealing with it honestly with the, with your clients and your investors. The other is really relates to the SEC, is if um, there could be lots of different benefits. It could be as much as early as if the SEC asks a question about it or the examination program is there and they ask a question about it, you can say, hey, yes, we had this issue and these were the five things we did in response to it. There's nothing for you to do. And I have seen situations where the SEC does nothing as a result. They, they think the issue has been handled and they don't um, do an investigation further into it or anything along those lines. So that's the best scenario where the SEC just says, great job, thanks for handling it and doesn't do anything else. Other op opportunities are it can decrease the cost of an SEC investigation. Those typically go on for two years or more than two years in a normal case. If you can show that you've really tackled the problem, it can really truncate any sort of investigation and lead to lower costs for the firm on that end. There can also result in, in the end, even the enforcement staff, if they feel like they have to kick the tires to make sure that you did everything you were supposed to do, may result in them just being willing to close the, the case without pursuing any sort of enforcement action. That's more likely to happen earlier in an investigation than it is after the staff has donated um, dedicated a year or two of their time to an investigation. And then even in situations in which the SEC, this SEC staff ultimately decides to recommend an enforcement action, it can really change the relief the, the staff seeks from the SEC, as well as how the conduct is described in any sort of public facing order. So if a, if a case is settled with the SEC, the SEC will issue findings and those the language there is negotiated in a settlement. And you have a much better position in which to advocate for a lot of the positive things that you did that make your firm look good to be put into that order and actually be made affirmative findings by the SEC that your firm did these three great things. It also helps reduce any sort of penalty, maybe even down to zero, that no penalty is needed. It can really reduce the chances that you'll get additional obligations called undertakings in the SEC orders that could have operational ramifications for the firm, such as undertakings to do X, Y, and Z over time. And that could have ramifications in that it could uh, make the firm uh, a bad actor and cause challenges for any sort of private offerings that it does in the future. So there are lots of opportunities there to really sell the story that your firm did the right thing and that the SEC should either walk away or should um, acknowledge the good things that you did. All right. Well, we've been talking about uh, remedial actions kind of in the abstract without really discussing what these are.
What are some examples of the types of remedial actions that asset managers can, can take that will put them in a good light if the SEC comes across the problems? Sure. So the first is to really understand the scope of the issues of what happened. For example, you may just get a complaint from one client or one investor, and it is good to take a step back and to figure out if that same issue is present for your other clients or other investors or in other places. So really get your arms around the issues. Then if, um, as I noted before, make sure that the conduct has stopped going forward. Uh, that may require updating a disclosure that you have. It may require changing a practice that you have internally, making sure that the conduct has stopped. Then also figuring out if there is any sort of financial harm that your clients or for a fund, the investors in the fund suffered as a result of the issue, then you should really sit down and figure out what should we do in terms of paying back the harm that the clients or the investors potentially suffered. There's a lot that needs to go into that calculus of how to remediate um, the, any sort of harm is how long should you go back? I mean, you can't really go back to the beginning of time if something lasted for 10 years. And there's a lot of calculus that needs to go into figuring that out and making sure that you're taking a balanced approach that is likely to get the recognition from the SEC, but that also balances the costs for the firm. And then there's steps that the SEC will expect for you, for a firm to prevent the conduct in the future. That includes updating policies and procedures. A lot of the SEC cases have charges that firms didn't have adequate policies and procedures or didn't implement those policies and procedures. So it's always good just to take another look at those and do some sort of update so that you can show the SEC you did that. Additional training for any staff, that's usually a low cost, easy item to do, some additional training. Address any sort of personnel issues. Uh, if the conduct is really driven by a single person, that um, maybe they stole assets. Well, you have to deal with that employee um, and make sure that you're dealing with them appropriately. Um, and then also, if considering whether or not you it is an appropriate circumstance for you to hire some sort of compliance consultant to take a take another look at everything. That's not necessary in all cases, but where the SEC thinks a compliance consultant is needed, it actually causes a lot of burdens for the firm when the SEC orders it. So it's worthwhile to really have that consideration and get the compliance consultant if you think that it's possible the SEC would want one. Would it be a good idea for the firm if it stumbles across one of these issues to notify the SEC? There's such a thing I've heard of as self-reporting. Is that something that's a good idea? It can be in certain circumstances, but I really want to draw a really um, stark line between remedial measures and self-reporting. Rem taking adequate and complete remedial measures does not require self-reporting necessarily. Um, and so that is something that a firm should really think about carefully. And just because it decides to fully remediate an issue does not mean that it's deciding to self-report an issue to the SEC and not something separate. There are certain situations where the self-reporting is compulsory in some ways. Again, we're seeing that with the modifications to and the amendments to form PF now that there are going to be affirm, affirmative obligations to disclose certain events as they occur. And so that obviously is going to happen. 
Um, but overall, the senior leadership within the SEC has really been kind of making this pitch to self-report, but they really haven't, the cases haven't shown the benefits of doing that. We're still seeing a lot of cases, even with nine-figure penalties where firms self-reported the issue and the, and the SEC even acknowledges the firm self-reported the issue. So it's not anything where you're seeing consistent benefits for self-reporting. So I think a lot of thought and care needs to go into whether or not to do that. Now, there may be circumstances where it does make sense to self-report. I would say those are rare, but for example, if you're already gonna have to report it in you know, the updated form PF, it may make sense to go in and get ahead of something depending on the facts and circumstances around it. Another area, where it may make sense to self-report is if you do have an employee who stole money from the clients and you may have fired them, but you know that they're going to go on to the next firm. And if the SEC finds out that you just kind of passed on a problem, um, that may be a, an area of concern for the SEC. So there are certain situations in which self-reporting may make sense, but you want to be very strategic in how you do that. When you were co-chief of the asset management unit in the division of enforcement, how would these types of problems come to your attention? It would be a referral from those who are doing the review or, or how? I would find out about this in lots of different ways. So um, I had managers that reported to me as well as line staff all within the division of enforcement. I also worked really closely with the division of examinations. So cases um, come into the SEC in a variety of ways. They can be these whistleblower tips. It can be an exam referral. It can be a news article, all sorts of different ways that the SEC can find things. And so um, when I saw that firms were, um, had taken certain remedial measures, it usually came up most starkly with respect to examination referrals. So where the exam program had already been in there for a while, and were referring certain conduct to the enforcement division that they felt warranted further investigation. And there, you know, a common thing for consideration is what would I get if I investigated this and brought a case? What would the, the commission be able to successfully get that hasn't already been paid out or done or accomplished? Because as I said, it's two-year investigation. You don't want to spend two years of resources and staff time and money and effort on something in the end where there's nothing really meaningful to get. So that was usually the way in which an issue would come up. It was during an exam referral, you would see those opportunities. Occasionally we got people who self-reported certain conduct. Um, and so then the issue would come up and a lot of times you could close something out pretty quickly or it, it did warrant further, further consideration. Well, how, uh, when one of these issues arrived on your desk, however it got there, what options did you have as the co-chief of asset, the asset management unit in terms of what to do about it? So uh, as the co-chief of the asset management unit, I was the one who ultimately decided whether or not to open an investigation or close an investigation. So um, really that that is decided by the senior officer within the group. Senior officer is the the technical term within the SEC, but I was the senior officer for the asset management unit. And so I was the one who would ultimately decide this was not worth investigating and not pursuing. 
um, or who would decide that this is not something that we really should make a recommendation to the SEC about, that we should just close this one. So my job was to sign all the openings and all the closings. Nothing got opened uh, in my group without me signing off on it. Nothing got closed in my group without me signing off on it, but it wasn't something that where I would have to go to the director of the division of enforcement under most circumstances to make that decision. So this this was my decision, yeah. Right, and, and the decisions that you made, I take it, I mean, you took into account remedial measures and the other things that, that you've discussed with us. Yes, remedial measures would have been one of the factors taken into consideration. The underlying conduct obviously is something that's very important as well for the SEC. If you have intentional misconduct or facts indicating intentional misconduct, no amount of remedial measures is going to be able to really get you out of an enforcement action in that case. But you, you may be able to take steps and remedial efforts that is really potentially going to minimize the damage to the firm. So you may be able to get the firm out of a case because with negligence-based charges and things like that because you were able to really tackle and remediate a very serious issue. And then the SEC may be more focused on individuals who engaged in the conduct. So that they're, even with very dramatic, difficult facts, there are ways to take steps to preserve the firm and the firm's business and the firm's reputation going forward. Well, just wrapping up then, uh, any other final words of wisdom or advice that you can share with the uh, asset managers out there about what they should do when they discover problems and how to minimize the chance that an investigation or a enforcement action might be taken against them by the SEC? The big piece of advice is take every opportunity you have to tackle a problem as early as you can. And so that may be you get the client complaint. It may be because you get a question. But it also may be because you get a question from the exam program. And so, and that may cause you to start thinking. And then that's still an opportunity to act and to act early. If you see an SEC case that comes out and you're like, well, I might have facts similar, that is another opportunity to really tackle a problem and figure out whether or not it is something you need to address. And these those steps early on can really pay huge dividends later on. Thank you, Dabney. We've been talking with Dabney O'Reardon, one of my partners at Quinn Emanuel. Dabney was formerly the co-chief of the Asset Management Unit in the Division of Enforcement of the SEC. We've been speaking about measures that asset managers can take to avoid the potential that the SEC Enforcement Division is gonna open an investigation or heaven forbid, actually bring a enforcement action. Thank you for joining us today, Dabney. Thank you, John, I really appreciate it. This is John Quinn, and this has been Law Disrupted.